Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello and welcome back to the Bruce Banana FC podcast. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. And today I am joined by Varun. You can find on Twitter at GunnerForever07 to talk about the Arsenal 3-1 victory over Burnley and kicking off yet another international break. Hello, Varun. Hey, how's it going? Good to be back. I've missed a few episodes. Yeah, same. I was, I was thinking that it has been a little bit since... I've been behind the microphone, I guess, since Chelsea, which well, feels like a long time ago. Um, but <laughs> nonetheless, here we are. Uh, yeah, Varun, so we have this match against Burnley that whenever you, you're playing a recently releg- or recently promoted team, especially at home, we kind of go into this match expecting a victory and expecting a convincing victory, like what happened against Sheffield, a 5-0 victory where... Sheffield basically didn't have a shot and we expect because it's so expected that it's kind of it takes a little bit of the shine off the goals and a little bit of excitement out of the celebrations and that's kind of been one of the themes of this year is that last season we were high flying we scored a lot of goals we conceded a lot of goals we had a ton of really dramatic finishes obviously some of the craziest goals that I have ever seen as an Arsenal fan happened last season. We conceded a lot of first minute goals and and then came back to win in the 97th minute. There's a lot of action happened. And as great as that is for a fan experience and as podcasters, that was something that was incredible to just always have big events to talk about. From in Mikel Arteta's perspective, that's kind of exactly what you don't want to happen. You know, he's talked at length about wanting to kill off games and play, you know, with 300,000 passes and kind of, in a sense, choke the excitement and the drama out of matches with control. And we can, you know, we've talked on this podcast a ton about how signing Declan, Declan Rice and tweaks to our tactical style have been all about suffocating the opposition with control and with possession. And the epitome of that is kind of what happened against Sheffield basically didn't have a single shot other than an attempt from the halfway line. And that I I would imagine is, is Mikel Arteta's dream for every single match. Obviously I would love to win five nil, but so with this match, it, it kind of, for me, like, I fully expected us to to win. I fully expected us to be convincing. I Burnley are a very very poor team. They have, you know, I guess I admire what Vincent Company is doing in in the sense of wanting to stick to his principles and stick to the principles that were so successful in the championship. And I know they didn't quite play as open and free flowing against Arsenal as they had in the past. Kind of a you can see why they're getting torn apart. The the talent just isn't there. And for the first half, it was frustrating. There's some good things. There's some bad things, but kind of just nothing really happened. And for me, it felt like one of the reactions to Trissard scoring and basically the last kick before halftime was 
that the goal should have come sooner and there's relief and kind of not anger is the completely wrong word, but for lack of a better word, fan base being like annoyed that we didn't, we didn't score in after 10 minutes that it happened after 45. And the fact that Burnley scored at all is, is obviously not good. The nature of the goal we'll talk about, but it feels weird. And, And I guess I feel like we're at this point where, we are kind of getting burdened down as a fan base with the expectations that we're chasing this behemoth in in Manchester city, that every single point dropped could be, I guess a death blow. Obviously city haven't been perfect. We'll definitely talk about that and we'll laugh at them later. (laughs) But Varun, are you you kind of getting this kind of vibe that I'm trying to describe a very long winded and kind of how, how did you take in this match? Um, I mean, from a general perspective, I think obviously there's there's that factor that a lot of fans have noticed this season that we're less electric, if if that's the right word. Um, we're not flying out of the blocks as fast necessarily this season, and we're not ripping teams apart. You know, um, committing four, five, six players forward in a rush attack from our defense to attack in nine or 10 seconds like we were last season. But uh, I think there's factors at play there because you you touched on what, uh, what Arteta would have wanted after last season and how it ended up transpiring by the end. That we were very entertaining to watch. We, we blitzed through lots of teams and lots of opponents, but we lacked control of games at times. And what happened as a result was uh, was that if we didn't have our first choice 11 or 13 players um, available, then the substitutes beyond that weren't able to sustain that fast-paced, electric, um, go-and-get-em kind of play style. Um, and I think if, if you're an aspiring manager in the game right now with, a, with hopes that you can build a team that can compete anywhere near the level of Manchester City, then you have to be able to control games the way Man City do. Like they will score the odd electric goal as well, but their big claim to fame right now is that they can suffocate any opponent, no matter who it is, death by a thousand passes. Um, They will pass a team to death so that the opposing team has to chase them around. And once they tire City strike and this season to me has felt a little bit like that because we've done very similarly. We even did it against city that, you know, we let them attack, we absorb pressure and then we started to hit them second half with the right players. Burnley, it happened exactly the same way. We were piling on the pressure for a good five minute spell at various times in that first half. And Burnley stood firm, but then as that half wore on, you could see, just the odd instance here and there of a Burnley player out of position or he left his man unmarked. Um, Just quick little cracks in their concentration and lapses there. And eventually that's what led to us scoring that first goal. Um, So while I don't think we've been as, as much of a flying team, I think we've controlled games better. And you can see it based on the fact that we've had, what, five, six first team players out with injury now. And... I don't think we've actually had the entire first choice 11 start a single match together um, and play the full 90 together. 
So the fact that our bench players, the fact that we can bring on Jorginho, we can play uh, Kivior, we can play Tomiyasu wherever he needs to be, we can play Havertz, we can play Vieira, anyone that comes on, we can play them and sustain the same level of control. That's way better as a long-term vision than uh, than what we managed last season. It's less entertaining to watch for the neutral, but it actually provides us with a better chance of success by the end of the season. Yeah, I definitely completely agree that I think that this is the best way that we win the title, that this is the most sustainable type of performance that other than really what Jurgen Klopp does with Liverpool, where it's, you know, just that's the epitome, I guess, of a high-flying gig in press where it's the complete opposite of the Pep and the Arteta type system of, of death by a thousand cuts that I do think, like you said, that is, this is how we set ourselves up for long-term success. And looking back, like you, like you said, last season, the downfall of Arsenal was not that we necessarily stopped scoring goals. It was that we started conceding far too many goals and we had a couple, you know, three, two losses or, or three, three draws, things like that, where, we scored enough goals to win and we should have won, but we did not because we, you know, we're missing William Saliba. And I do think, like you said, that we are significantly better suited for a long-term success, but getting back to this match of Arsenal are in, you know, a bit of an injury crisis and somebody who has ever since he's been at Arsenal, uh, Leo Chassard, he's been definitely thought of as the super sub that he's come in and, and had you know, exceptional productivity and performances off the bench that hasn't necessarily translated to, you know, what happens when he starts kind of the reverse of Eddie Nketiah, who obviously is well known to be much better when starting rather than being a substitute. But Troussard has scored now in two straight appearances, got a goal and assist. And crucially his goal against Burnley was the opener when I think anytime you're playing, a team in the bottom half and the team that's trying to sit in a little, little bit more. As soon as you get that first goal, kind of the floodgates open. And that was as close to an Eddie and Kedia type goal as you could get a, a real poacher's goal. And I thought, you know, obviously put his body on the line there. Bruin, what do you, what have you made of, I guess, Trossard and his importance to the, the depth at Arsenal and kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when he when Trossard started uh, his first couple of starts in the season early, early on in the league, um, I agree, and I think a lot of fans then were, thought that he was a little underwhelming in uh, in those couple of starts. But if you think about the most recent performances, uh, he had what the Champions League game against Sevilla, where he got uh, a goal, uh, and then what an assist is that. Or is that the Burnley game that I'm mixing it up with? Did Burnley, he, he got a goal and assist, yep. Burnley, he got a goal and assist. And then he also had output against uh, against Sevilla. Yep, yeah. yeah, he also scored. So the fact that he's been involved directly in three goals in these last two games, and he did start in those, is promising. Because perhaps he was just getting up to speed back into regular season kind of intensity early on. But now with Jesus out, with Nketiah out, he played in that central striker's position. 
and he looked faultless. I mean, I know Burnley is uh, all respect to them, but they're not the most stern test at the moment of of whether a player is necessarily fit to be in the in the first choice eleven for Arsenal. But Trossard handled it well. Burnley are still physical. They they defended deep, and Trossard had no problem moving around to try and confuse those Burnley players um, and link up with Martinelli and Saka wherever possible, not to mention the bravery he showed to score that opening goal because I can't think of many players, even in our team, that would have gone ahead and done that. Um, but the the thing is that he's able to do that and he's able to execute a completely different set of skills to have an impact against Sevilla because they're not the kind of team that sit back in two lines of four to to restrict our movement in the final third. They tried to play and Trossard showed different skills there. Um, I think he's a great example of the kind of depth we have right now and that we want all over the pitch because that's exactly the talent you would want where he can step in when your first choice or your first and second choice in a certain position are out and he comes in, does the job, gets on the score sheet, and has a significant contribution towards a positive result for us, and then is just happy to do his part for the squad. Yeah, I think more and more, the more that I guess that Trossard plays, the more I'm convinced that he is better as a central striker, in, just in, in the sense of the way that we play. That when we, ha- I find that when we have him out on the wing, and it's, I think it's not necessarily that he what he provides, but what he does not provide in terms of Martinelli has that rapid pace and, and is a just an agent of chaos. We always say in <laughs> his pace and, and his ability on the ball to just take defenders one on one v one. It creates for everyone around, and, and we lose a little bit of that when Trissard is on the wing. But when we have Trossard playing uh, essentially, uh, it's the most Gabriel Jesus option that we have. And since Gabriel Jesus, you know, he, he's obviously struggled with injuries the past year or so, that having an option that we don't have to sacrifice our principles and our style of play as much and still getting the goal output, that is always nice to have. And, you know, like I said, Trussard's definitely going to play out on the left plenty, but the it is nice to have more and more options at you know, one of the most important positions in striker. And I'm sure at a time when Eddie and Kedio was, was playing well, but not great, I, I guess he, he was playing very inconsistent. Some matches, you know, scoring a hat trip, but three days earlier, he was absolutely terrible as a sub against Sevilla. And I think that, where our squad is at the moment, we have a lot of question marks in terms of some of our depth, and it's nice to have some where you know Trossard is. It's very rare that Trossard would ever put out an absolute, you know, three out of ten or four out of ten. That he's going to be much more consistent. You're going to know what you get from him, and he's versatile. And I think that's kind of the dream squad player. The thing um, is that uh, in terms of Trossard and what he offers like yes he doesn't have the electric pace or that ability to create chaos the way Martinelli or Jesus do but then in addition to he's he's got this insane 
ball striking ability f- with both feet, um, which I genuinely am not sure anybody else in our squad does that quite the way he does. Um, he's able to work in tight areas. He's able to he's able to put in great deliveries from wide. I mean, look at the corners he sent in all game against Burnley. Like th- they caused problems every single time. Now he might not cause chaos the way Martinelli does by driving at defenders, but those deliveries caused issues every single time on a set piece for Burnley uh, in that game where I don't know anybody else in our squad sends them in quite consistently that well into the box that cause issues. Yeah, I think my, I, I agree with all that you say there. I just think that him out wide, I don't, I don't want to turn this into a, a negative Trossard thing, but whenever he plays out wide, I think that often he ends up in the half space and that kind of crowds out whoever's in the, who's, whoever's playing the as the left eight. And especially when it, it, the beginning of the year we saw it was Havertz often playing at that left eight, that him and Trossard were very often in the exact same area. And it was very evident that they didn't quite, know where one should be and one shouldn't be that I don't think you get that same issue when Trissard is playing as a nine and you still get all of those same qualities and positives that you described there that I think he's he's very effective as that central striker with somebody who runs and stretches on the outside but I, I don't think we need to you know go in too heavy on that discussion what I do want to talk about is a little discussion on Zinchenko because I thought he was outstanding in this match and definitely got me thinking a little bit about Zinchenko, his role in this team. And and I want to pose a question to you, Varun. So we have, uh, uh, talking about this year only before, we don't want to bring in Yuri and Timber or anything like that, but just uh, Zinchenko and Tomiyasu as our two primary left backs. That Would you say that Zinchenko is much more suited and potentially should be played against, you know, let's say everyone other than the top six or the top three, maybe how about that? But against, you know, the Liverpool, maybe Spurs and uh, City, of course, that Tomiyasu is the better uh, left or better left back, sorry. And that really Zinchenko is what makes him such a magnificent player is his ability on the ball. And I think that these are the type of matches where you see Zinchenko shine whenever he's has to go up against a really pacey winger or really just anytime Arsenal aren't going to be absolutely dominating possession that Tomiyasu, I think is probably the the better option. And even though, you know, you're obviously going to lose a little bit of that on the ball. What do you think about that? Uh, obviously, the, you know, this is a take I've just been workshopping here the last uh, day or so. So I'm not fully, fully uh, embedded in the Tomiyasu Zinchenko split like that. But um, it, it's tough. I think, I mean, you you saw Zinchenko against Burnley, and I actually posted about it on Twitter uh, during the game that I thought his, his technique on the ball. Uh, in possession was on full display during that, uh, during that game. Like he was having fun with the ball out there and he was all over. I saw him once kind of flick the ball around a defender to Saka and he was out on the right, but then he did similar things 
on the left where he's supposed to be, centrally where we often see him anyway. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily so black and white that it has to be one of him or Tomiyasu starting at left back consistently. I think it needs to be tailored to the opponent. Um, what kind of comes back to my mind is if you think last season when we played Liverpool at home, it was the first time we saw Zinchenko not dropped, but we saw Arteta prefer Tomiyasu at left back for seemingly no reason. Nobody could figure out why Tomiyasu was playing at left back, which we'd never seen him play like in that position for us before. Um, and then he was so effective against Salah that Liverpool actually had decided to sub Salah out after just over an hour, I think. Um, so I think it's about Tomiyasu is more of an out-and-out defender rather than somebody to help instigate attacks. And so I think Zinchenko is the one to play at left back when obviously the entire defense is fit. That's kind of primary uh, primary requirement uh, for this debate at all. But if we have all defenders fit and we're playing against a team that is not necessarily going to attack us too much and they're going to sit back more the way Sheffield United did or the way Burnley did, then I think Zinchenko is the one to play at left back. But if if we're playing a team where there is a strong enough right-sided attacker that can cause us issues, then it might be might be Tomiyasu's type of game to play at left back because you need more of an out-and-out defender there, somebody who's big, strong, but still seems to have adapted to this inverted left back tactic a lot more so than he had last season, which means that if if we're playing a team that actually does cause us some attacking threat on the right, on their right, then Tomiyasu can hopefully deal with that a little bit better than Zinchenko would. And then when we have our spells of play where we're on the ball more and we're maybe dominating possession more, Tomiyasu's shown he can still play a part in that. So it's not like we're completely trading off everything if Tomiyasu plays at left back. So I think... Yeah, it's got to be Zinchenko against teams that let us have a lot of the ball and Tomiyasu in games that where the where the game is going to be a little more even. Yeah, I think that that's kind of where I land as well. And it just kind of works out that typically the better size will have less of the ball for obvious reasons. Bruno, I want to talk a little bit about Fabio Vieira because I think if one word could be described for this it's just kind of disappointment and frustration with talked about this the injury crisis that's kind of going on at Arsenal Martin Odegaard has been out for a while and hopefully it looks like he'll be back after the international break but you never really know and with Kai Havertz really not taking hold of the left eight position like we thought there's there's an opportunity or was an opportunity for Fabio Vieira to, to take claim to a position and kind of, yeah, really just take a season opportunity. And he kind of just fucked it. Really? <laughs> he didn't, it made an absolutely unnecessary challenge and a pretty obvious red card. She's going to leave him out for three matches. And I think you could see it on his face. And more importantly, you could see it on Mikel Arteta's face that 
he's just very, very disappointed in the decision, the the kind of the opportunity cost that Fabio Vieira is not going to have these opportunities to potentially cement himself. And, and it's, it's disappointing because he's somebody that was playing very, very well at the beginning of the season. Years up, you know, times that you, you for a second there was going to push or did push Kai Havertz to the bench that he came on in a couple of sub, sub appearances for Havertz and did some very exceptional things, created some goals and did what we expected our left eight to do. And since then it's kind of been crickets and he comes in and goes studs up onto a kneecap like you do in Sunday league. And of course he walks out with a red card. And so Veruna, you just kind of, disappointed, frustrated, annoyed, all, all of those negative emotions towards Fabio Vieira right now? Um, I think disappointed more than anything else. Like It was a dangerous challenge, and I don't think any sane fan is arguing the fact that it's a red card. It absolutely is. Uh, the only thing I've seen fans upset about is that the officials are so quick to make this right decision against us we just haven't seen that so much in our favor uh at times this season against other teams um but that's a different discussion altogether i think Vieira, yeah like he's he's a strange one because i think he actually started off this season really strongly and for example against fulham he was the one that turned the game around when we were behind we looked devoid of ideas he's the one that turned it around for us um to take the lead forgetting what happened after that. But um, I'm not sure what what exactly has caused the, the lack of using him uh, recently. I mean, it's possible that he just had some time off as well uh, to spend with his partner and, his, and their new child, um, like Ramsdale did. So uh, that could at least account for the fact that he may have been absent in training for a couple of days to be able to spend time with his newborn. Um, Not to mention we've seen Smith Rowe kind of back at the level that we were hoping to see him again, which means, and we know Arteta actually does value Smith Rowe. He's said it so many times, but now we're getting to, we've gotten to see it that when he was at the right level for us, he did get to play. Uh, I still think Vieira has something to offer, but it was a little disappointing to see him throw away that chance against Burnley so so quickly. Um, the the benefit might be that this, this might go a little bit under the radar and might get forgotten if we do have Martin Odegaard back after the international break. And if Smith Rowe, who is rumored to be back in a couple of weeks as well, if he's back, then we may not miss Vieira quite as much. Um Havertz as well, I think, honestly, people say he hasn't been playing well, but I genuinely think that he's been playing better and better with every passing game. Yeah, I thought um, he played, I mean, I would say not amazing because I think he he should have scored, honestly, really, in this match. But I thought he was, it was a positive performance from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he should have scored. There was the one header off a corner that I think he should have put away, absolutely. And he should have scored one against Sevilla as well. Uh, 
but overall, I I think if you look at his first couple of performances for us during preseason, even during the actual season, and compared to now, it, it might be happening a little slower than perhaps people were hoping for, but he's getting his confidence back. And I think the first time he gets that one goal from open play, that's it. That's when his confidence will be fully back and then we'll start to see the player he was at Bayer Leverkusen because the rest of it, I feel like I'm seeing. Um, but then I go on on Twitter and I feel like people aren't seeing that. Um, so I, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just seeing what I'm hoping to see. Um, people can correct me on that and they're welcome to if they want to. But I think he's been performing better with each game and that makes sense because he'll he'll take... He obviously was going to take time to slot into a, a side that played with the kind of style that we've developed over the last 12 months and the the energy, the connection that those players have. It was obviously going to take some time to get into that rhythm for an attacking player. Um, but it looks like he's getting there now. He's starting to get on the same wavelength as the rest of our attackers. I wouldn't be surprised if he starts getting amongst the goals soon and I, I hope he does because I like the look of him he looks like he's a player that's going to fit into our system well yeah I definitely think that it's been positive but definitely it's been encouraging but not positive how about that maybe, maybe I'll it's, say it's that been it, it hasn't been anything I to think write most fans about. just want to see yeah most fans just want to see him score because kind of that's when you have a take somebody who played striker and put him in midfield and you, you don't expect the goals and the scoring to not be the issue really. And see that kind of has that. been what it has been. And, and I think. That I, 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 under, in, in, I understand that. I understand that. But then we also have to remember that he played striker at Chelsea where they've been underperforming for the last couple of years, but at Leverkusen, he didn't primarily play as a striker. Did he? He played, a midfield role quite regularly as well. And I think that's the role that Arteta wants him back into because that's the role where he's performed best over his career so far in a kind of midfield slash second striker role is where he's done his, he's played his best football. I think that's where we need to keep using him so that those instincts come back. It's not, necessarily that we need to use him as a striker or that we're using a striker in midfield. I think we're trying to get a a midfielder who was kind of used as a striker in an underperforming team and we're trying to get him to remember how to play as for uh, in for a top sides midfield again. Yeah, I think that's I don't fully agree with all that, but I I also don't know. We don't need to go all uh, <laughs> off on a, what what position is did Kai Havertz play by our Leverkusen discussion. <laughs> but as we wrap up here, Varun, I think we saved the best content for laugh, for last because we need to talk about Spurs. The mighty have fallen. <laughs> that the Spurs, their t- their title challenge may be over. Their their season might be over because they've lost two games in a row. Well, let's talk I about, mean, uh, you, you know, just <laughs> I, really, it's just a full praise for Gary O'Neill and kind of want, want you to laugh at Spurs and, and laugh at, at big Ange for just providing us with a beautiful, beautiful day of football. 
Uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I thought when Spurs scored that early goal against Wolves, I thought, you know what, somehow they're managing with these injuries and suspensions and the fact that they didn't build on it. I don't know how they didn't because they had chances against Wolves. But then Wolves also had them, and it felt like a draw would have been a fair result. How they managed to completely throw it away is beyond me. I watched the end of that game, and I still don't know how on earth they suddenly managed that. Varun, I know how. It, it's it's because it's Spursy. Because it's the, history, it's the history of the Tottenham. Exactly. Um, but I don't know. It, 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 there's no... Given how Chelsea have played against the top side so far that they've faced this season... I, I can't. I, I can laugh at Spurs, obviously, but I'm not overly shocked that Chelsea pulled off a win, given that Spurs were two players down. Um, it was nice to see that they lost that game because I was a little concerned the longer they were going without losing. Uh, it's good that they lost one. It's great that they lost two. Uh, I, I can only hope that their season is uh, is going to unravel a little bit at this point. Uh, They've got tough opponents coming up. I think they play Aston Villa next, who are sitting in fifth place right now, and they've gone a little under the radar. They can easily cause problems for for Tottenham. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, are Spurs still without Romero for another couple of matches? Yeah, yeah. They are. Okay, so he he is, I think, their best defender. Um, I think they've got Udogi back, which is good for them, but they're still missing Romero. They're obviously missing Madison and Van de Veen for, with injury now, who are two signings that have really hit the ground running for them. So I, I'll never celebrate a player's injuries, but it may rock their uh, their fluidity a little bit when they play, missing two such crucial players. Um, obviously the international break with the two weeks coming up can make a huge difference. It depends on who becomes available after that, uh, for any team, but it was, it was good to see that Spurs have fallen behind and they're behind us again. Uh, feels, feels a little more comfortable, like more is right with the world now. Exactly. And if, uh, Spurs could just never win another game of football ever, I think that would just be the best. So Two games in, they're well on their way to never winning again, and, and long may it continue. I think that's a, a nice place for us to wrap things up. Varun, thank you, and, and thank you to everybody listening. Hopefully they enjoyed this victory over Burnley. Happy that it wasn't Sean Dyche managing Burnley. Glad that Arteta could finally beat Burnley at home. I, I think it was the first time he's beaten Burnley at home, potentially. And I can't remember the exact what, what they said on the broadcast, but we have a couple weeks of an international break. I think it's coming at a great time for Arsenal. I usually hate international breaks, but it'll be nice to get some of these injuries or get some of these injured players back uh, and back training again and, and potentially in line to start our next match. And we'll be back to preview that after the international break. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. And you find Varun on Twitter at Gunner Forever or Gunner Forever. Oh, seven. Did I Gunner, Gunner? Which one is Gunner? Gunner forever. Gunner. Nice. There it is. <laughs> we'll catch you guys next time. Erdogan is joining in and he's seen Martinelli. Extraordinary. Set it for Saliba. For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof and touched in by Jesus. Kyle Saka. Yeah.